0: Well, thank you for joining us today, Tara. Uh, Just to introduce Tara, Tara Malay is a practitioner of insight meditation since 2003 and has undertaken intensive practice periods in the United States and Myanmar. She's a graduate of the 2017-2021 IMS IRC teacher training. In 2016, she co-founded the San Francisco People of Color Insight Sangha, and in 2020, 20 to 2021, she served as the interim guiding teacher for the insight meditation community of Western Massachusetts. Her Dharma offerings stem from the lineage of Mahasi Sayada. Tara combines a deep love of classical Theravada and early Buddhist teachings with a focus on bringing the practice alive in modern daily life. Thank you, Tara. Thanks so much, Kevin. And thank you all for practicing with me. Today, I would like to talk about um, an approach or a phrase that to me uh, really encapsulates this actually holistic, integrated practice that we are doing Um, part of which is our mindfulness practice. The holistic practice I'm referring to, of course, is the Noble Eightfold Path. And for me personally, um, it's helpful to remind myself that it is a whole path of eight factors. And when I recommit myself, when there are moments and times of recommitment, there is this framework or approach that really for me embodies or encapsulates that remembering and recommitment. And it is a simple, um, and it is caring enough to truly live. That's sort of what it feels like to me. And also I've found that I can sort of map all of the factors onto this um, particular phrase of caring enough to truly live. So I want to share that with you, that approach, and perhaps it will seed some inspiration and perhaps recommitment for you as well. So I'm going to go briefly through each of the factors and, and talk about how this approach of caring enough to truly live, how that um, plays out for me or how that is enlivening for me. And, but first I want to just point to how it also describes for me a way that we feel when we do make that recommitment, it describes a sort of a sense of uh, the motivation that often um, propels us to practice. And You know, there are these choice points that we sometimes have, these inflection points um, where perhaps our hearts are calling us to practice, to to dive a little deeper into practice. So for example, to practice more intensively or more regularly, or perhaps to take up a new type of practice that our hearts are really drawn to, that we've learned a little about, and that would really seem to be supportive or a skillful means for us, such as a Brahma Vihara practice, or the five daily recollections, or a concentration practice. There are so many, so many uh, ways in which the Buddha taught that uh, would support our whole practice of engaging with the Noble Eightfold Path. you know, we, we reach these times in our practice and we can choose to really commit and follow our heart and dive into that practice. Or sometimes we um, falter or become um, more inconsistent. But what I have found um, that's helpful to recognize is that when there is this act of diving in deeper, or recommitting Um, What I feel in my heart is that I'm really caring enough to truly live this life, that there is an aspect of caring and an aspect of commitment to life and to truth. And so, you know, just to illustrate, I want to describe one of those choice points for myself. You know, um, this is going back quite a few years and I had been practicing for quite a while in my daily life, and um, over time I had uh, started to go on short retreats, and there was a time where I really did falter in the practice, and I came um, came to a, quite a commitment in the sense that, that the practice was really what I needed to focus on, and Uh, it it began with a health uh, crisis I had. You might call it a health crisis or an episode. I actually, uh, it involved having to have surgery on my foot to um, actually, uh, there was a bone deformity in my foot and that needed to be corrected. And in the period leading up to that, and after that, in a very long recovery, there was quite a time period there where I couldn't walk unaided and I, I, I needed to walk with crutches. And many people experience these kinds of um, difficulties, health challenges in life with mobility. I was younger and I didn't practice well enough. And I was in, I suffered a lot because of it. I was, you know, wanting things to be different than the way they were quite a lot of the time. And so, very much in contention with experience, and there was a time where I, I just really realized, um, remembering how the practice had supported me in the past, in the past that I uh, needed to really turn back to that practice and try to meet my experience with it. And then um, I did that. I I. I began to go on longer retreats and to practice much more um, in daily life and to reach out more to sangha and practice more with sangha. But there was an even a much starker experience that I had of of really um, reaching one of those choice points and and committing to to where my heart was drawing me um, in practice. And that was... um, sometime after I recovered, I actually found myself being very, you know, my heart being really drawn to intensive practice. And I decided to take a one month retreat, the first one month retreat that I had done. And I had the particular conditions, uh, the privileges in my life that allowed me to to do that, to carve out a month from my, uh, at my workplace, a month of vacation. And I, I went on you know, arranged my life and did all kinds of things to be able to do this one month retreat. Uh, And as that time approached, I did, though, start to feel some trepidations and nervousness and even some just kind of questioning, why am I doing this? What am I doing? Um, And that intensified as I uh, came closer and closer to the date of the beginning of the retreat. And, you know, I was worried about missing my family, my my partner, my wife, my dog. And I um, nevertheless drove up to the, the retreat and I had some extra time and I stopped at a grocery store. And still my heart and my mind were filled with these thoughts and worries. And uh, I was already missing my family. I stopped at this grocery store. I went in, I came out um, and I decided that I had a little bit of time left before registration started. So I would just rest in my car. I got into the driver's seat and um, I reached down and I uh, just inclined the seat back uh, a bit. And, you know, and inclining back, I looked up at the ceiling of my car and there right before my eyes were all of these crutch marks on the ceiling. All of these marks that had been made inadvertently, unknowingly, when I had been pulling my crutches into my car over and over again during that time period. And at that moment, all doubt, all thoughts, why am I doing this? What am I doing? Went out the window, went out the door. I absolutely knew. I saw the crutch marks on the ceiling. I remembered uh, the way in which I had Uh, gone through that stage without uh, mindfulness, uh, not really practicing consistently, not really knowing, doing what I knew in my heart I needed to do to meet difficult experience. And I was completely committed. I saw the crutch marks on the ceiling. I said to myself, that's why I'm doing this. And, you know, encapsulated in that was this knowing of the unreliability of our experience, uh, the unreliability of our bodies, the impermanence, the um, uh, dissatisfactoriness of life, the fact that we, we do have pleasant, ex- unpleasant experiences and um, you know we can't control that we do, we can't hold on to the pleasant, uh, can't make the conditions the way we want them to, the conditions are coming towards us and ungovernable. And that's, so that not self aspect of experience So there was this knowing at that time. And I absolutely never, I didn't have another doubt, uh, thought they flew out of my mind and I went to that retreat. And um, the practice continued to flourish from there. I was able to move forward. And I, in that moment, there was a caring enough to truly live. There was um, that energy, that motivation to um, practice in a way that I knew in my heart, would be onward leading for me and for others, you know, not just for me to alleviate my own suffering, but in that time period and uh, my frustration and anger and not practicing well uh, through uh, the experience that I had with, you know, having difficulty with mobility and recovery from surgery. I wasn't able to be the kind of person I wanted to be in relation to the rest of the world. Also, in my relationships, um, I my energy was channeled towards frustration, and and um, was not able to be there um, uh, and serve my community, and also just relate in a way that was was really um, ideal um, in life because my energy was taken up in you know, being caught in cycles of suffering. So I cared enough in, in that moment, that, that wellspring of caring enough to truly live, to truly follow that um, my heart's call towards the Dharma, you know, welled up as I remembered that. And, you know, there are Pali words for these kinds of mind states that support our uh, that kind of propel us, that have bring an urgency to the practice and support a confidence in moving towards it. And so there was, there was that in, the, in those time in that time period for me. Um, the words are Vega, which is often translated as spiritual urgency, and pasada, which is kind of a confirmed faith in the practice. Uh, or confirmed confidence in the practice. And Sandega is that knowing, that knowing that we have where we realize there is some, the, the way we've been relating to experience has been just causing us more suffering and it's not the way through. It's the way we've been relating with trying to maximize the pleasant, you know, those habits that we have as human beings, responding to the, the truth of dukkha, the experience of unsatisfactoriness in life by trying to maximize the pleasant or diminish or get away, uh, um, the the unpleasant push it away, or just not being aware in our daily lives. um, That response, we, we start to realize that response is not the way that's actually going to bring us freedom or peace. And that experience of that knowing is called samvega. And then when it's balanced with pasada, which is some confirmed confidence, some confidence in the practice, that, that in fact, the way to, um, to experience that greater freedom and that greater peace is, is to practice the dharma, is to practice mindfulness in the context of, of the rest of the path factors, that, combination is very potent and powerful. And my experience of of that is this caring enough to truly live life, to truly follow uh, my heart's desire to understand the truth and to engage with this practice. So um, now I want to just talk a little bit about um, this caring enough to truly live and How I see it as as mapping onto and relating to our holistic practice of the Noble Eightfold Path. So, caring, I see, you know, the first two factors of the Noble Eightfold Path are often referred to as the first basket, and they're often referred to as the wisdom basket. And so, I actually feel that this basket really points me towards this wellspring of caring. And so that may seem a little unusual because oftentimes people sort of contrast wisdom and compassion or wisdom and caring that they're quite different. But when we really look at these um, first two factors of the Noble Eightfold Path, um, for me, they really point towards the flourishing of caring in our, in, in our lives. Uh, they, they point us towards really beginning with, with caring and that that's wise. Um, so the first factor is wise view wise view. And that is usually uh, mostly uh, described as understanding the four noble truths. That's the wise view. It's understanding the four noble truths. So when we look at this, the Buddha, it's one of the first of the Buddha's teachings, the four noble truths. And it is based in his own compassion for his own experience of suffering. And then his teaching of the Four Noble Truth out of compassion for us, out of compassion for um, other beings, that they could also um, understand suffering that they were experiencing and understand that there was this accessibility of cessation of suffering, of peace and ease. So the Four Noble Truths in a nutshell are, there is dissatisfactoriness, stress, unreliability in life Um, because our experiences are ephemeral and we don't control them, for example. That is part of our experience. Um, It's the first Noble Truth and that's to be understood. And then the second Noble Truth is that there is a cause or an origin for that dissatisfactoriness, that suffering that dukkha in Pali, D-U-K-K-H-A, that there is a cause and it's craving. And craving, for example, for sense pleasures, craving for becoming over and over, trying to solidify our experience. Craving also for non-becoming to really push away at the unpleasant, rejected. And this is the second noble truth. And then the third is that there actually is a Um, a cessation of that suffering and it's the letting go of that same craving and the fourth is the noble is actually the noble eightfold path but that is the path to the cessation of suffering so this practice has this beautiful non-linearity to it this cyclical nature and um so this understanding you can see you know of wise view that that the Four Noble Truths are rooted in in an experience and an expression of compassion by the Buddha himself. And as we practice them, they are also an expression of compassion for ourselves because we are addressing, um, we are recognizing and addressing and training our minds and our hearts. Uh, We're recognizing, addressing the suffering and then training our minds and hearts towards greater ease and peace and towards the cessation of that suffering. There could be nothing more sort of caring than really, uh, really making that commitment to actually understand what causes our suffering and respond to it. And, and so this, that to me is caring. And the second factor of the Noble Eightfold Path is really directly about, about um, caring mind states and cultivating them. So this is wise intention or wise resolve. And there are three wise intentions that this factor of the Noble Eightfold Path calls on us to cultivate. The first is renunciation or simplicity. So that means letting go of our greed impulses that cause us suffering in the world also. So renunciation or simplicity, that intention is the first. And the second two are the intentions of loving kindness, and harmlessness, so loving kindness, that simple wish for well-being for ourselves and others, and harmlessness really relating, have, dropping in that intention of non-harm moment by moment. Um, and what could be more caring for ourselves in the world so than to cultivate these kinds of intentions um, in in relationship to our own experience and that of others? So this is caring in the in the first basket. It is a caring that's infused with wisdom. It's based in wisdom. It's based in this understanding of the of the four noble Truths, but it is infused with caring um, also. So caring enough, caring enough. well, to me, the enough points to the second basket of the Noble Eightfold Path, which is, you know, um, acting on, this caring, acting on these intentions, following through, and so the second basket is called the basket of ethics or virtue. It is really um, a, a three factors, a combination of three factors, which point to um, non-harming conduct. You know, so bringing the non-harming intentions and the caring into our lives and infusing our daily uh, relation, our relationship to the world, our relationship to others, our relationship to ourselves, interestingly, to into, you know, bringing that, really acting on those intentions. So the factors, the three factors of this second basket are wise speech, wise action and wise livelihood, wise speech referring to honest speech, truthful speech. So abstaining from false speech. All of these are really framed in the abstaining as we drop our habits of harm, our lives become to begin to be infused by non-harm and caring. So abstaining from false speech, abstaining from harsh speech, abstaining from divisive speech, even abstaining from idle chatter where we um, are more likely to fall into perhaps those habits um, uh, that are harming. And wise action really pointing to um, some of the other uh, precepts, the typical five ethical training precepts for lay people that many people are familiar with, but those are abstaining from um, killing, harming other beings, abstaining from um taking that which is not freely offered, so abstaining from stealing and abstaining from sexual misconduct, right? And then wise livelihood to not make a living in a way that is based on harm or deceit. So this um, basket is is, is that action of caring enough to infuse and imbue your life with non-harming conduct. And one of the most beautiful things I think about the teachings um, is that this practice of ethics of virtue is one that the Buddha taught so that we would experience joy. It was about non-harming for ourselves just as much as others because there's a recognition that when we do engage in harming conduct there is an impact uh, on our hearts and minds that we feel a remorse, even if it's underneath the surface, It's even if it's sort of subconscious. We f- There are ripple effects of, of a sense of dis-ease in our hearts and our minds. So this, this particular basket is caring enough for ourselves and others, really. And I just want to quote a couple of uh, lines from the Dhammapada because uh, I I like to really bring home this teaching, this truth that the the Buddha taught non-harming conduct for our joy. Um, So these are a few lines from the Dhammapada. Uh, The Buddha said, live the Dharma, a life of good conduct. One who lives the Dharma is happy in this world and the next. So we equated in this line, living the Dharma is equated with a life of good conduct and it brings happiness. You know, what it brings is non-remorse. He also said, one who makes merit rejoices in this life, rejoices in the next, rejoices in both worlds. Seeing one's own pure acts brings joy and delight. It brings joy and delight. So this is caring enough. And caring enough to truly live so that brings us to the third basket of the Noble Eightfold Path, the last three factors. And, and mindfulness is here in this basket. And to truly live is to truly be aware, actually, of what it is to be a human being, what is happening and arising in our experience moment to moment. So there's this way in which when when we're not mindful, when we're not practicing this meditative cultivation, and we're not practicing, you know, really cultivating awareness more and more. This is a way in which we don't quite feel alive, right? We know we're separated from our experience. We know we're, we're not really living it. And we're not really understanding the truth uh, when mindfulness is not, is not is, when we're not actively cultivating that mindfulness, that awareness, that we fall back into habits of non-awareness. So my so caring enough to truly live, this third basket of truly living uh, is referred to as the either the concentration or the meditation basket. It has three factors. It's wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. And all of them involve this cultivation of the mind so that we begin to understand, what it is to live the life of a human being, what is the experience of life and how it is that we can cultivate, how it is that we can cultivate our minds, train our minds so that we experience less suffering, more peace, more ease, and so how it is that we can truly live um, the our you know our heart's intention of living a life um, that is one in which we can really meet our experience with that caring we can really meet our experience with that caring and that understanding so wise effort um, this is getting to know our um, Wholesome and unwholesome mind states, and getting to know and beginning to understand how we can uh, abandon the unwholesome, which means those kind of mind states that harm us. Those so that's what's un- that's what's unwholesome. So, for example, um, afflictive mind states like impatience, afflictive mind states like um, really rage, or sometimes you know fear that gets in the way that limits our potential. So those mind states, we can feel the the harm of those in the moment. So this wise effort is beginning to understand how to recognize, abandon those those more and more over time by seeing how they show up in our lives and beginning to understand how we can abandon them. And when they do arise just to um, overcome them And also this wise effort involves, you know, uh, recognizing, bringing bringing forward wholesome mind states. So those that are non-harming, that loving kindness I talked about earlier, for example, gratitude, joy, um, these kinds of non-harming mind states, understanding over time, developing the skillful means to cultivate those more and more and have them arise more and more in our lives. And then wise mindfulness, where many of us are very familiar with, uh, you know, mindfulness. And this is, again, about really understanding our experience and, and, and truly living in the sense of truly being there for our lives more, truly being aware. Um, and not only that, this mindfulness allows us to understand the truth of the way things are deeply and more intuitively over time. Um, As we practice more and more with being aware of what's happening moment to moment and not pushing it away and not trying to cling to pleasant experiences, the more we see the actual ephemerality of experience, the the more and more deeply and intuitively we can understand impermanence. And that deep understanding then allows the heart to let go of its habitual entanglement and suffering and reactivity to that impermanent experience. So this is truly living the sense of truly beginning to understand the mind's capacity uh, for freedom. You know, the mind's capacity to understand more deeply the truth and to let go And, you know, bringing us back to the beginning of the Noble Eightfold Path to understand more and more the Four Noble Truths, including the third one of letting go of that craving that keeps us um, on that wheel of some, you know, in that samsaric suffering. And finally, wise concentration. Um, So that is really this gathering collectedness of the mind that supports, supports, all of the factors really that supports mindfulness and, and wise effort. It's it's just this um, collectedness just coming back again and again and again, um, oftentimes experienced through a continuity of mindfulness. It's the unification of the mind, the, the collective, the gatheredness, it brings stillness to the mind. In fact, um, some people are of the view that this word that is often translated as concentration, samadhi, um, is mistranslated as concentration and should be concentrated, it should be translated as stillness. So you can think of it as the growing stillness of the mind as we practice wise concentration. So in this last meditative basket of uh, the noble eightfold path of uh, wise. Effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. I see the potential for all of us to really, truly live and truly live a life that is uh, non-harming towards ourselves and others, and that is not harming because we begin to really have a deep understanding of uh, a deep understanding of the truth of the way things are, and that living in alignment with that truth. The truths, of impermanence, of not-self, of the unreliability of our experience, that that uh, is what brings great happiness and also brings us in alignment with our care for the world, for other beings and infused with that, our care for ourselves. So friends, uh, Dharma friends, I hope that this framework might've been of some inspiration to you, caring enough to truly live as a way of thinking about or pondering the Noble Eightfold Path. And I wish you a wonderful rest of the day of practice.